a turbulent off-season, eight wins on the board, clear air at the hangar, a new coach adored. This is the Sash, definitely not the official podcast of the Essendon Football Club. (laughs) (laughs) Or or at least that's what our guest would say if they were doing a mid-season review. This is, of course, the Donfather. Rob, welcome, welcome back, Roberto Della Sasho. Oh, it's good to have you. You got me there for a moment. I was actually halfway through that. I was like, gee, this sounds like one of my intros that I usually do. This is, I like, I'm like, I like that you're doing it. But then, um, yeah, no, you got me with that. That was very good. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad. How, I'm glad. how long did you kept that in the chamber? I reckon you've been thinking about that at least for a week. I, I, I literally came up with this. I'm like, how am I going to intro the show tonight? In the last 90 seconds, I put that together. Nice. Um, so... I, uh, yeah, welcome, welcome. Thanks for, uh, you've, you've cut your holiday short just so you could come and appear on the Donfather once again. I know, I know, exactly. No, I had to, had to tell my lovely, lovely partner that we had to return from Hobart on a very, very important, uh, call that I had to be on, and, and here we are. That's right, that's right. And like all great Essendon podcasts, they're born in Thornbury, they live in Thornbury, they're strengthened <laughs> in Thornbury. Yes, yes. I'm. Um, well, I, I won't say I was born in Thornbury, but I'm definitely uh, residing in Thornbury now. And um, all of our Thursday shows—that's where I rec- record from—is um, my is my lovely home in Thornbury. So yeah. um, I'm new to the area, Nick. You'll have to show me a, a few of the hidden gems, I think. But um, oh. I do love it. Yeah, excellent. Don't worry. I'll I'll show you the sights in Thornbury. Maddie's been here a long time too. So <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Um, I was I was going to say it. Uh, you just revealed your location. To everyone who listens to this uh, to this platform, which is a grand title of zero people, so you're safe. No one's going to hunt you down. Yeah, <laughs> your address, and no one's going to find you. Yeah, well, one of the um, one of the guys from the Windy Hill Windsock podcast, um, Chris, just the out of the blue the other day, he messaged me and he goes, "Hey, mate, did I see you uh, walking behind Northcote Plaza in a Go Plains beanie with 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 you know with your girlfriend?" I'm like. I reckon that was me, mate. I don't know who else is walking around Northcote Plaza with a Go Plains beanie, so I reckon you saw me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But he must be a Thornbury kid too then. Yeah, I think he is. I, um, I know he spends a bit of time at the Bowls Club, he tells me, or maybe even works at the Bowls Club, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, yeah. he's he's definitely another uh, Thornbury Dons man. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, look, it's a, it's a really good, it's a much better vibe than it was last year, right? When we got together to have a chat about what was mm. going on. It's um, I think Dave Barham took the cue, didn't he? He he listened to the pod, and he said, "You know what? That Nick, he's correct. I need to buy all the sage in Melbourne, and I need to burn it through the whole hangar." Hmm. And that's essentially what he did, didn't he? Yeah, he's come in. Um, it's it's it reminiscent of um, if you ever used to watch the show Entourage, this might be a bit of a dated reference, but do you remember when Ari Gold rebuys one of the agencies and he goes in with this Nerf gun and he starts shooting everyone, telling them I, they're fired? That's that, that's the image that I had of Dave Barham just rolling in and telling a few board members and former CEOs and a few other people and just sort of went, you're done, you're done, you're done. And um, it's great. And, look, it's awesome to be uh, chatting with you, you both again in, in a positive frame. Um we may have had more content last last year to speak about than this year, but it's nice uh, nice being here with, you know, all three of us have smiles on our faces where we didn't uh, didn't this time last year. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And look, if we, if we look back to that time, it was it was probably mismanaged a little bit, wasn't it? That they sort of he realised that Clarko might have been gettable and needed to make some calls and do some tough moves and, and make an approach to Clarko. And I think that ended up in a little bit of disrespect to, to Rutten in a lot of ways because they didn't decide to sack him on the spot. They let him coach out the week and then essentially he knew he was done because mm. they'd been looking at and talking to other coaches. Thankfully, we didn't end up with Clarko. Um, and then, of course, they, they get the coach that they're after after finally for the first time in about... 20 years, they do a proper review, they proper process, appoint the coach that they're after. They appoint the CEO and then sack him 24 hours later before then moving through and and, and getting the correct CEO. Mm. And and in my mind, yes, it was handled poorly, but what I liked about it and why um, I I really think we're in a good position with Dave Barham is because 
he realized he made a mistake, particularly with the CEO, and he fixed it straight away. He didn't mm. he didn't try and uh, spin it or give us uh, media out, you know, or, or try and make it a positive thing. He's like, no, nah, this is the wrong guy. Let's get rid of him. And whatever happens, happens. So I think I've really liked that abrupt and, and clear operation by him. Mm. Yeah, and I, th- I think that was probably the last mistake as a club that we made. And, mm. you know, pre that, there were definitely a lot. But um, a mate was messaging me uh, yesterday, and, I mean, we might touch on this whole logo stuff that's been going on the last mm. 24 hours. And he goes... He goes, I do like that the you know the biggest story about Essendon this year is about the bloody logo after mm. all the stupid stuff that the club has done over a decade or more that this is suddenly the big news issue. And he goes, it kind of shows that we're in a nice spot if this is what the media is dredging up to get people upset. So, mm. um, But you're right, though. Dave, I like the way Dave's gone about it. He's clear cut. He's straight to the point. Um, I love the fact that I don't even know what our – CEO looks like or sounds like. I've never heard mm. from him, and I like I love I love it that way. You know, I've I've read the one or two statements he's made. I looked up and go, oh, that's what he looks like online. Never seen a press conference with him, um, and hopefully that's the way it stays. If we're not mm. hearing from the CEO, things are good, and that's what I like. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I had to Google Craig Vozzo. It's a name I'd heard around the traps. Had no idea what he looked like. Wouldn't know him if he was walking behind Northcote Plaza in a plane's beanie. Yeah, correct. Correct. Wouldn't tell him. Wouldn't tell him apart. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's funny how quickly this game moves, isn't it? I mean, you, it's it's nine months. That's that's a you know, a term of of pregnancy that you can go from absolute rabble, kerfuffle, uh, insert word here to describe disaster, to actually things are all right with within half a season. It, it is just a bizarre. I don't know if it actually happens in any other. World sport, uh, like I, I'm trying to think um, across the American sports. Maybe cricket. Maybe cricket. Things can can turn around pretty quickly. But it's it's a it's a bizarre bizarre sport that we follow so intensely. Mm, mm. I think I think for me the the biggest takeaway is that the club finally said enough is enough. We're going to mm. do things properly. We're going to stop pretending that we're entitled to anything or that. We don't need to do due process because we're Essendon. And the the difference has been astounding to me. Like, mm. this is the first time since I was in high school that I actually feel like I am following a football club and not some kind of corporation or mm. a corporate entity. I actually feel like I'm... It sounds really silly. I feel like I'm going to the football to support a team that is purely there to win games of football. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I get that. Like there was, you know, there was sort of was that period, the back end of the uh, Xavier Campbell reign where it seemed like everything was kind of just tied into a sponsorship in a mm-hmm. way. And that was the sort of messaging that we felt from the club is that, that we were only valued as a, as a number of what we generated. Mm. And look, I, I can understand that there was obviously financial issues that had to be rectified, but mm-hmm. they kind of were. And then we kind of got to the point where it's like, all right, we've put that behind us. Let's kind of move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right, Nick. And it's it's nice that we're talking about footy. It's nice that that's the focus. Um, and I guess it does sort of, you know, what you were saying, Matt, about being such a crazy turnaround. You do often hear those old heads in footy who've been around for a while and they're always like, well, it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Mm-hmm. And after the last year that we've sort of had, I'm like, oh, maybe they're right. Although I do like to think that we have turned a, a big corner, and I think we all probably agreed that we have. But mm. maybe it wasn't that bad. But maybe this isn't that good. You know, I don't, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. On that, I, I think, and, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I do have this. Look, I think things are great, but I have this feeling in my stomach, and I, I am known as an eternal pessimist. Uh, around and Collingwood sympathiser. <laughs> no, no, just to, uh, just like Craig McRae, I think he's a great guy. But um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sold completely yet. Like I, I still wonder, is this 2021 all over again? Because I reckon, mm-hmm. I don't know if we had the exact same rhetoric then, but I reckon we had similar discussions then. Oh, we've turned the corner and, you know, the, the club's mm-hmm. back and blah, blah, blah. And I go, it feels very 
very or the, the discussions sound very very similar to what we had uh only two years ago mm-hmm. so i i wonder if uh yeah perhaps it isn't as good as 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 uh what we might be thinking that could just be my pessimism mm. Yeah, I mean, well, look, if you listen to enough SEN and you listen to all the stats guys, they they don't seem to believe that we're the real deal and we're any good. Right. And I guess I guess that's what this next sort of month and six weeks is going to look like. That we're going to play some teams who are probably around our level. Like we've played some of the best, we've played some of the absolute worst, and now we're going to kind of really test against that you know middle six bracket, which is probably where we we still are. Um, and hopefully come out good. I mean. We're sort of, we're almost, we're teetering our position now. And like, I don't want to, like, I try not to speak about it too much because I feel like, you know, we're going to jinx ourselves. But we're getting to the point now that, you know, two games clear of outside the eight, that we can stop talking about making finals and start talking about a home final. That's mm. that's the kind of conversation I think we want to be having in the next month. Um, and if we beat a couple of these teams, you know, if we take us, if we beat Freo in the West, we maybe take a scalp against a Port or Geelong, um, then, you know, that's that's a real conversation we can have. and. Um, I think the home final goal is what can hopefully lead to us um, breaking this uh, this uh, never-ending drought. Well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, and I don't want anyone to get too excited. And I just want any of my bosses knowing, listening, knowing that I actually work at work. But the other day, <laughs> I got on the ladder predictor, yeah, and I was quite conservative with the win loss, and we ended up finishing fifth and playing Adelaide in a home final. And I think if you cannot beat Adelaide, who are terrible away from home this year in a home final, we're just never going to win a final. Mm. Yeah, I think of the t- you like. I mean, look, I'll, I'll I'll grab I'll get my ladder up right now. But if you if you look at the teams who can make finals mm. and who you're going to play, best case scenario is you play Adelaide in Melbourne. That is 100 percent the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. You don't want to play Geelong. No. Maybe the Bulldogs, but again, like there's history there and they've got finals experience. Yeah. You don't want to play Richmond if they somehow make it. Mm. And then you kind of get to your GWS Gold Coast Freo who probably won't make it, you know, mm-hmm. really. So that is the best case scenario. If we make play finals, well, that's the position we want to put ourselves in. Mm. Um, you know, the alternative being that one, you don't you probably don't want to go to Adelaide and then an all Melbourne final, whether it be against a St Kilda or a Bulldogs or a Geelong or a Richmond, like, you know, definitely we're up for it, but that's gonna be a you know a monumental task. That'll be a great final, but it's not one that you're thinking, yeah, this is a 70-30, right? Like mm. against one of the big Melbourne teams, it, it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be similar to the North one in twenty thirteen, I think, when um when Bomber was coaching. It's it's mm. a great game and a great event to be at, but it's not it's not one that you're going to like, yeah, we're going to win this comfortably. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's just what we're going to learn over this next month is that mm-hmm. whilst we've been, look, really, really good in a lot of games, bar probably two where we were kind of out of them reasonably mm-hmm. quickly against Brisbane and Geelong. But, you know, we're going to find out. And, you know, there's still a lot of people who doubt the way the Bombers play. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, the stats men will tell you that we're not playing the style or whatever, but I don't know. I think I think we've got the ability to win a few of these 50-50 games over the next mm. month. And, um, yeah, you know, here's hoping we can be talking about being three games clear mm. of the bottom of the eight, potentially even four games clear at some point, you know, like mm-hmm. getting to those final few weeks and it's not a question of making it or not, it's just a question of how it sort of pans out and, that's where we want to be because, yeah, it's obviously very hard to do anything from seventh or eighth. Mm. I think I think the big one for us was the Richmond game. I feel like as an Essendon supporter, that was – there was two actually. The Melbourne win in Gather Round was the yep. big scalp that we never got in the last couple of seasons when we were around this mark, right? Particularly mm. in 21 – we, when we made finals, we never really got that big scalp until very late in the season, which was the Bulldogs. And they were the only team that we beat, and they spanked us two weeks later. Um, so the Mel- getting that early just gave the group a little bit of confidence that, hey, we can, actually, we can actually match it with the best. And then the other big one was the Richmond game. And beating a team that we hadn't beaten since 2014 in the manner that we did... 
coming out of that really tough run where not only did we play like the top six teams, but we played them all on shorter turnarounds after mm. traveling, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely. Um, I think that was for me where I started to believe that, you know what, this, this is a sustainable brand of football and this is a really, really driven group of players. And so we may not do much this year, but in, to sort of respond to what Maddie said earlier, that were we having these discussions before? We were, but to me, it feels different. It feels mm. like a real football club with a real game plan, with mm. a group that is continuing to improve on a consistent basis. Yeah. Um, did it, so did, it, did either of you go to Adelaide for Gathering? I didn't, no. Unfortunately Maddie? not. No, okay, no, yeah. So, so I went. Mm-hmm. Um, with Merton Kingo for what we described as the fill on the hill, yeah. um, and <laughs> dis- despite despite the amount of filling that we were doing, that was the first time that I, you know, I think Cal Twomey kind of coined it Brad Ball. That was the kind of first mm-hmm. time we kind of saw it, mm-hmm. and I, I remember sitting there because I'm behind the goal, so you've got that different view to what you'd see normally on TV, and I was watching us to switch it from side to side to side to side. And not in that kind of worst fold switch where we do it once and then just launch it, but yeah. we were just taking time and, you know, Ridley, um, I don't, I'm not sure if oh, Laverde would have been playing then, mm. and they were just doing it, doing it, and then they would just find that perfect, that one-on-one mismatch that we wanted, and then we would go. And I, I sat there and going, we've actually torched Melbourne here. Like, we mm. totally outplayed them. They were totally outcoached. Look, they had a few outs, and we, we definitely targeted and exposed that, but that was the first time I'm going, this is the first time I've felt that we've actually like, you know, tactically beat a side. Like even mm. when Worsfold was having wins, particularly the Worsfold era, we were having wins, but it was off that just chaotic, get it to Sadi, get it to McKenna and just go for it and let's hope mm. that we score. And Whereas let's hope this, scores five and, and yeah, carries off over the line. Exactly. Like so many of those wins were just off the back of individual, you know, brilliance. Whereas this, I was like, this is... Like, this is a team game that we're playing mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've really sort of developed that over the period. But y- you're right. That was the big turning point. And then, again, Richmond, like, you look at all the good teams over the journey. They've all had that hoodoo that they kind of had to shake before they got anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, before Melbourne uh, cracked, the you know, 2018 had that final first finals run. I think they had, it was like 10 years since they beat, hadn't beaten North. Mm, and they mm. went to Tassie, and they well, they beat Tassie in Melbourne. Also, they beat Tassie in Melbourne. They beat North in Melbourne, sorry. Mm. And then that was kind of a little catalyst for that. And yeah. even though uh, Richmond have been a bit wayward, I think the the growth you get knowing that hey, we've we've beaten this team that we've never been able to beat before, and every guy in this team would probably have you know four, five, six losses against Richmond over their careers now. And they're going, all right, we've got over that hurdle. Who's next? Mm. And I mean, we don't really have any other hoodoos now apart from the big one against, you know, opposition sides. So I guess it's just like a, all right, we believe in the system. It's proven against the issues that we've had. Now we just got to keep going with it. And, and that's right. And particularly the Richmond game was, Shield was a laid out. We'd lost Parrish. We'd, we had, essentially, Merritt was the midfield for that game. Yep. And uh, I've got oh. a couple of Richmond mates and they were talking, you know, talking trash before the game, haven't beaten us in, in a long time, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I, I sent a message to one of them and I said, this has the makings of an epic win for the ages. And that's mm. exactly what happened. Laid outs, no midfield. Um, I think Ridley was still... No, um, Kelly had been out. Ridley was back for that game. But yeah. um, it just had that making and that. And to me, it feels like it's the, the stone that started the avalanche. I agree. No, I, I totally agree. Matty, you think, look like you want to say something. Yeah, it's hard to get a word in with you. Uh, it's like a, like a ping pong, game of ping pong just uh, between the cameras. But um, <clears throat> I think I've got, I've got a few things to say, but um, I think what's been most pleasing, <clears throat> if I can keep my voice, um, has been the opportunities taken by some of the guys with, with let's say, less of a name. So. Um, you made the comment, you know, we've got no midfield or we had no midfield against Richmond. I, I, I think the, the way that Caldwell stepped mm-hmm. up, the way that Ben Hobbs stepped up, um, Zerk Thatcher, probably an, another one, obviously down back, 
Um, I mean, Nick Martin, uh, I mean, talk statistics. He is rated very, very highly um, statistically. I think the, the players is rated ninth in the competition for, in terms of impact on the game. I don't know how they Crazy. measure that. But Crazy. That, yeah, exactly right. Um, so, I, I, you know, if we, we're going to add to things that have been pleasing, I think it's been the, the opportunities that have been taken. Um, the statistic one is a, is a funny one because I, I've seen that as well. And we're actually rated in some categories worse than what Richmond of 2016 uh, were rated in the same categories. I, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember what they were, but we're rated mm. worse than they are. But we rate better in the most important statistic of all, which is the scoreboard and the wins and loss column. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes wonder how important the stats are and, and or is there more a case of correlation rather than causation or where it's sort of another the cutting edge of, of, a, of a revolution of the game. Mm. And, and thirdly, just to touch on the, the hoodoo point, I think it's been great to have someone who's not and doesn't claim to be an Essendon person. Mm. Um, and I think Big that's time. been the great thing about Brad Scott. <clears throat> if I can keep my voice. Um, and and we, you know, we spoke about the finals drought. I think it will be less of a factor under him than what it has been maybe with Rutten or Wisher or Heard because it's not a thing for him. It wouldn't be a thing going through his mind. You know, same with the Hoodoos against Richmond. I, d- I, I doubt he would have brought that up because it's just not something. He's not an Essendon person. He doesn't claim to be. He doesn't, I, I don't, he doesn't seem to be one that would wear that. You know, it just seems to be the sort of person, no, this is their process. We're going to play the game and we're going to go about it this way and you do what you're told and, and get on with it. Um, and look, I could make a lot more comments about that and, and how the club and, and bringing in people from outside who are not Essendon people at the core um, and how beneficial has that been. But I, I think on field, that's what probably gives me the most confidence is that the man in charge mm. isn't an Essendon person. Um, yeah, I um, I, I spoke to a, a friend who does a North Melbourne podcast, Ross, um, and I, I, you know we had a good chat about Brad. He, and he said to me, he goes, when when North were like, I, th- I think I think Brayshaw was the one who hired Scott, if I'm correct. But either way, so like when North yeah. were having issues early on in Brad Scott's career, and he's God, he would have been like mid to late thirties at this point, and he's you know a senior mm-hmm. AFL coach. I think it was thirty four <clears throat> when he started. There you go. Uh, so yeah. whenever there was an issue. Brad Scott press conference. Brad Scott at the front. It was never. It was never the CEO or the president, which obviously you know they've had a lot of stuff now. But it was always Brad, and I think like he was obviously always a very very good speaker and clearly you know a very very smart guy. But I think you know he got put through a lot of shit with North mm-hmm. and had to front up for all these other issues that he kind of doesn't have to deal with with Essendon. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got more money than he will ever need. We've got the facilities. We've got the members. We've got the games. Like every we've got everything. Whereas with North, he would have to sit there and they'd be like, "Oh, how do you feel about the fact that ten thousand people showed up?" And he'd be like, "Well, it's obviously not good." Whereas we've because we've because we're a big club and we've got a stable base. We've got everything he needs to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I th- I would I think for him that he's got clear air now. Like Dave's cleared cleared up all the mess for him, and he's just got clear air to go. I can just focus on being a great coach. Mm. Um, and from everything I've heard from the players who I've spoken to and mm. even just the way that we listen to them through the press, like, like you know, I if Brad Scott started doing his own podcast, I'd listen to that five times mm. a day. I, I could listen to him for hours on air, talk about footy. Like, it's he's such a great mind. Yeah, and what I – so this – when he was first appointed, because I hate – Hate hate North Melbourne so much. I hate the Winnipeg. <laughs> I reckon you're the only Essendon person that does. Like oh. I, I, I don't know another Essendon person that gives a. I'll, I'll use a, a shit. Uh, yeah. I was going to say something else there, but I'll keep it uh, PG. I, just, I, just I don't think it. anyone else cares. I, it's from the era of, of Ferrito and Lindsay Thomas and like David Hale and Peter. Oh, I just hate him. I just hate him so. Anyway, and so when when Brad Scott was appointed, I just I was not happy. I was just, but then I heard his first press conference and the clarity of his vision and his, he's clearly got a, a holistic view of the AFL from his time in the head of football role. And he's clearly brought that into Essendon and it's just allowed us as a football club to stop looking in the review mirror and start looking at what's around us 
and more importantly, where we're going. You know, he's just given us that ability to to finally, in a sense, join the AFL or or become current with the AFL. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's funny you talk about like you know not liking particular clubs. We have to remember that we had this external group of people who handpicked the coach essentially, mm. and the fact that. Robert Walls and Jordan Lewis were involved in picking mm. what may be the great coach of the next year of Essendon. Like mm. it baffles me. And I've, it's funny. I've, I've gone through a lot with Jordan Lewis from absolutely hating as a player to now. Like, I kind of like him in the media. Like I've, I've gone mm. full circle, like I've gone full circle with him, but you know, Robert Walls in particular, just very known anti Essendon person. And you've got these mm. two guys who've terrorized the club on and off the field. And they're a part of the group that appoints the coach. Mm, um, mm. At the time, I, I couldn't believe it. Now I'm like, thank you, Robert and Jordan. Like this is yeah. looking amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I sort of envision um, Brad's interview to be. Have you seen? Uh, I don't know if it's Ted One or, or Ted Two. Um, when he, I mean, it's Ted Ted One, where he gets he does the job interview. And he does absolutely everything he can to not get the job. Yeah. And they still give him the job. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, because I think there was an article and, and Brad sort of said, you know, the process he went through and he pretty much went in there and said, I'm only doing it if you do this, this and this. And, and it was pretty much clear at the club. I don't pretty much in corporate speak said, I don't want to hear from old Essendon or, you know, that we, they're pushed to the side and I'm given a, a clear runway. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I imagine most other people to come in and say, you know, I'm really keen, take a big club, blah, blah, blah. And he said, mm. I don't care how big you are. This club's a mess. Fix this, fix this, and then I'll think about it. Mm. And, um, I mean, that's, that's I, I suppose that's probably the way he operates um, at a football level as well. I, I have it on, uh, I've said it a few times uh, on the pod, but good for you to hear, Rob. Apparently he walked in day one of preseason, had all the players in a room, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he said, if, if, if you're not going to run back and defend and tackle and, and all that, I don't care who you are, there's the door. Get the right now. <laughs> day one. Day one. Yeah. <laughs> I so, like it. Um, I like it. And, yeah. So, so something that I've really enjoyed about watching Essendon this year is actually the way that, and it may, may not just be Brad Scott, but the way that the coaching group is actually adjusting the tactics to each opponent and each game. And and the prime example of this for me was when we played Brisbane and we had no tall defenders and certainly no one that could go with Joe Danaher. And as a footy nuffy and a footy nerd, I was like, how are we going to approach this problem? And I was thinking, who are we going to bring in? Which player are we going to give the job and hope, hope for the best? And what they did was they took the Ruckman and they said, when you're not... At the set of bounds, you're dropping back and you're taking one of the tall forwards and you're defending them. And hmm. look, it, it worked for a, for a half and then we were fatigued and, and didn't go on with it. But that was such, to me, such out-of-the-box coaching brilliance hmm. that I was like, this is actually the coach and the group that is going to achieve a lot when the players are at the level of development where they can execute these sorts of plans um, really smoothly and really consistently. Yeah, and I think that's something that we've we've lacked particularly over the last two coaching eras is that, you know, we've gone from someone who, you know, obviously has a game plan and has a system that they're trying to develop with the team, but is tactically flexible and is prepared to shake it up a bit. Whereas we've kind of had, a, you know, two eras of, oh, no, we've got our system and our system is going to work and we're just going to keep doing our system until you know, until I get sacked, basically, or, or get mm. walked out the door. And there's mm. plenty of coaches who do that around the league, and they just go, I've got my system of playing. Like, Ross Lyon's kind of that kind of person. Mm. Um, he's very much a system coach, very successful at it. Um, mm. But, yeah, it, it, it is nice seeing that we do have a bit of that tactical flexibility that if if we're going in undermanned or something happens during the game that we're prepared to mix it up. Like, mm. even, um, you know, in our last game, like, uh, Zach Merritt's having a quiet day. He's got the hard tag from Kerno. We're just gonna th- we're gonna put you to half foot forward. What does he do? Kicks a goal, and those young midfielders who go mm. in there go to that next level. Like mm. I just I don't believe that Rutten 
would have made that move. I think he would have gone, Zach's my experienced midfielder. I've got to keep him in there. I've got to keep him in there. I don't think he would have made that change, but mm-hmm. this group, Brad and the guys who are under him were prepared to do it. And I like that we're I like that we're doing it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I just click the mute button there. But um no I, I yeah I totally agree with that. And I think probably that's the difference like we were saying before. Um with with the twenty twenty one conversation versus uh, the twenty twenty three conversation. I think we are seeing more method to mm-hmm. to the the wins. Whereas I think in twenty twenty one, it it was sort of a, just an extension of Wusher and that that chaotic sort of element. So, um, it feels like a long time ago uh, the Carlton game. But um, one thing I I also and I'd be interested to get your your opinion, uh, Rob. I think about the Carlton game. I think about the Richmond game. Uh, stroke of well. Obviously, with Richmond, stroke of luck. Um, but for Carlton to be so inaccurate, do we do we think would we still be having this this positive conversation had that ball swung a little bit more to the left or right and gone through the big sticks and and we're actually mm. cleaned up? I, I just wonder how different or how much of it impact is our opponent's misfortune rather than our brilliance? Yeah. Um, is that sort of shining? Making yeah. us look better than, than what we are. Do you get what I'm saying there? Like, yeah, no, I do. I do. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand the question. Um, look, I, I think it's a few things. I'll first say Carlton aren't as bad as everyone makes it out to be. I, I don't think they're yeah. that bad. I think, yeah, I think I the coach is making them play a way that isn't very effective. They're playing very defensive and they've kind of opened it up as we saw against Gold Coast and maybe they'll go on from there. My other point in that, look, they, they did miss some glaring chances, but I th- I was thinking about it after that game, and like you know, we're in, we're in this world now where it, there's so many stats that you know that are so important, other than you know how, how accurate in front of goal. But I was thinking about the inside fifty stat and how it's just an inside fifty. There's nothing. There's no. There's no effective inside fifty. They mm. don't say whether it went wide or went to the corridor. Did it go deep or did it mm. go short? Because if you look at that first half in particular, massively the first quarter and then even past the second. They were taking shots from 50 out on the boundary, just launching mm-hmm. at it, hoping it, hoping it to go through. So many of them dribbled through. So many of them were rushed, rushed through. Um, yeah, Kerno and Mackay did miss a couple of sitters, but they also took some from some pretty hard angles that they're just not good enough at doing. Like Peter Wright kicks those goals, but not everyone's as good a kick as he is. And I, mm. I actually, like the fact they have 6-16, I think kind of flattered them. I think... That you know, really, they were more like you know six eight six ten because there's four rushes in there, and then these kicks just launching it from nowhere. And um, yeah, look, I I think it is just evident of where Essen's at that we still just have quarters against sides that the other teams in control, and Carlton were in control. And if mm. they were clinical, they could have done what Geelong had done to us, um, or what Brisbane had done to us. But they're just not playing that well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't totally buy into the fact that oh, if Carlton kicked straight, they won the game. I think it's a little bit more complex than that. In the same way that when we lost to Port and mm-hmm. they kicked 18, 20 behinds, we dominated in the middle of the ground. Mm-hmm. We absolutely dominated, but we just couldn't get it out of defense. So mm-hmm. if they had actually kicked a goal, it would have gone back to the middle and it would have been an even contest again and the game could have played out differently. So I think we've got like 12 set of clearances in a row or something in that game. And, yeah. and I agree with you that had it not been stuck in our back line and gone back to the centre, yeah, they kicked a goal, but we would have answered it because we were just walking it out of the centre. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think I think there is always a little bit more to it. And, yeah, particularly that Carlton game, if there, if there is – if champion data has a way of actually measuring – what an inside 50 gets you in terms of effectiveness, whether people mark it, whether it goes out of bounds, where it like where it actually goes in the 50. I think that would tell you a lot more than purely just crossing that 50 meter arc. Mm. Um, Cause that's how I viewed the game um, uh, particularly, but yeah, look, uh, I don't like saying it, but Carlton aren't that bad. They're not, a, they really shouldn't be a bottom four side. Um, mm. They probably won't play finals, but, they're not a bottom four team. So, I get yeah. a I get an Essendon twenty twenty two vibe out of Carlton. Um, yeah. just come off a, a a decent year, and probably got a coach who either doesn't have the right support or is actually just not that good of a coach. 
Mm. Um, and then they've tried to correct and change the, you know, the way we're playing is not sustainable. So we need to really change it and go very defensive. And yep. then because like us, they've had so many years of mediocrity and poor performances. They just don't have the patience or the headspace as a club to let this go on for very long. Mm. And then that pressure mounts and, and people start playing badly and kicking poorly, et cetera, et cetera. And the fans get restless. and Yeah. As, like I, as I, I won't pretend to be an expert in Carlton's off-field matters, but from an outsider looking at it, I feel like they kind of need to do the same way that we've done, that there's, mm. a, there's a lot of people who've been around for a long time, uh, particularly in, you know, sort of board roles and other roles like that, and just might be time for a bit of a refresh and turn it over and clean it up because, you know, if, like, I mean, we obviously all, would all love it to happen. We'd all love Carlton to be shit forever, but... Oh. Very if much. they go through, if they go through this era with Kerno Mackay and Cripps and Walsh and Weedering and don't do anything, like you may as well just fold the club. Like mm-hmm. to be honest, like mm-hmm. that they've they've got too much talent on that field to not do something with it. So and they're in their prime now. They're all coming into 24, 25, 26. You know, I think Cripps is what twenty eight, twenty nine. Um, maybe a little bit younger than that. But, yeah, for them to have a Brownlow medalist, two-time Coleman medalist, multiple number one picks, you know, yep. their, their list is stacked. So yep. it's, not, it's not the talent that's the problem at Carlton. Yeah. It's, it, it's something else. It's yeah. definitely something yeah. else. Definitely. I'll, uh, I'll steer this one back to Essendon. I, I will say this. Um, as much as it's great to see them suffering, yes. um, I really do think it's, it's a... Shame for the competition if, uh, if there isn't the potential realised of having an Essendon as strong as what we think we may be and a, a strong Carlton to what they should be with their talent. Mm. I, think, I, think, I think the competition, uh, particularly living in Melbourne, is so much better off with uh, Collingwood, Carlton, Essendon, perhaps even Hawthorne, mm. all going well. At the same time, well, oh, there's, no, there's no Captain America without Red Skull. There's no Batman <laughs> without the Joker. Yeah, you know? no, that's it. Yeah. So hopefully, for the sake of uh, some good quality contests, I hope they can uh, mm. turn it around. But, yeah, um, like, like you think about that. Um, was it the 2018 prelim Collingwood Richmond, the Mason Cox mm, one? Like, yes. You know, that's that's where I want to see Essendon over the next few years. And yeah. obviously, I want to be on the winning side of those games. But, mm. you know, an Essendon Collingwood prelim, an Essendon Carlton prelim, like mm. just these mammoth games. Um, and, like, you know, there's always going to be those smaller clubs who are there and the interstate clubs. But, you know, it's we have so many fans who turn up to watch some of the shittest games of football. <laughs> like, imagine all the people who are going to come out of the woodwork when we're actually regularly playing, you know, finals and we're going deep and we might actually win one like mm. they'll be hanging off the rafters and and that's the thing and i think probably a really good feeling for us this year is a home final and a win in that home yep. final right for for me personally i as much as everyone loves to talk about the finals drought if we were to finish the season the way that we're going, make finals and have a really good performance in a final, not get blown away like we have in every final that I can remember since 2013. Uh, that's a pass for me, you know? Mm. And a win in the finals would, would just be, I'd be over the moon, right? To get us into yeah. a semi or potentially a prelim, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be going bananas. But I just have that thought of that home final, and even if it's on a Thursday night, just the week before getting the tickets, getting ready for... Like, I'm getting excited just thinking about that potential mm. of playing a final in Melbourne that I can actually attend. Um, but I think the biggest difference for me is the confidence each week, turning up to the footy each week, and knowing that we're going to get consistency of effort mm. and that we're going to play a mm. particular way. And it doesn't matter who's in the team someone's going to be doing each job. Yeah. And and we saw it with, you know, when Peter Wright was out, Langford was, who I'm sure you don't listen to our pod, but I reckon Langford is the ultimate bench spot in the All-Australian team this year because he has yeah. started really well in defence, 
He's had an incredible year up forward, and he can go into the midfield. So I, if you're actually picking that team genuinely to be a competitive football team, I don't think you can look past Kyle Langford for one of the bench spots. Um, but it's that. just someone goes out and someone comes in. You mm. know, um, Peter Wright's been missing. We've been playing with two rucks. Wiedemann's been doing his job. Peter Wright comes in, and he just does his role. Stringer just does his role. But Hobbs and Caldwell just do the midfield role. It's It's been really refreshing to be able to go to the football and know that I'm going to watch a team play and play in a consistent way. Yeah, well said. Yeah, like just looking at the fixture for the back half of the year, like even though there are games that are going to be hard and there are games that, you know, we'll probably lose, like I look at every game going, oh, we'll have a crack, you know. Mm. We'll be there at three-quarter time or in the last quarter and, you know, we'll be in the game. Like mm. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't have that headspace at the moment that I'm going. Oh, we'll just get flogged, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we'll yeah. pencil it in. And I, I guess the last time I felt that way was probably the Brisbane game. That was the last time I'm like, this is a game that we're just going to get beaten. Let's just get it done with. Let's lose by ten goals and we'll move on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now that we've done enough over this little stretch and we've shown what we've shown over this, you know, twelve, thirteen rounds, I'm like, we'll be in every game. We'll be in all these games until mm-hmm. the end. Whether we win or lose, we're going to be in them. And, and that's all you can ask for at the moment. Yeah, and I think the two big ones that, that have really turned our season, like I said, is the Richmond one and then the Carlton one. Because that one is a, another 50-50 game. It's mm. regardless of where anyone's form is, we've all seen enough Carlton games where they've been terrible and we've been good and they've beaten us and vice versa. And the fact that we had this run of four wins, starting with Richmond and ending with Carlton before the bye... I think that has taken us, you know, that eight and five has really given us a heap of momentum. And I think Mm. the next big one, obviously they're all big games, but if we can get Dockers in Perth and take us to nine and five, I'm, I'm almost thinking we're, we've banked September there. Yeah. Yeah. I, it would absolutely have to go. (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure what the swearing rules are on your podcast, but we would have to do one of the absolute biggest chokes of all time to go nine and five and not play finals. Um, And then I guess, as, as, as I said earlier, we've, we've discussed, it changes from a conversation about just playing a final and then a home final. And Lord knows if we ever have a top four conversation at some point this season, Lord knows what that conversation goes like, but yeah, you know, we're almost at the point that we can start talking about the home final. And yeah, going going nine and five and then coming to the G. And look, don't get me wrong, Port Adelaide are phenomenal this season. They've been great. But I've, I was there. I was there watching them lose to Collingwood in round three or four when they played at the G and they were woeful on the G. Look, it's been mm-hmm. it's a long time ago, 10 plus weeks, but... Hey, there's no reason why we're not going to give them a run for their money. It's our home game. Why not? Yeah. You know. Yeah, and and they've been up for so long that they're due a bad performance. You know, a ten percent drop off that then lets us sneak a win. If you know, off what I mean. the buy as well, a post buy right. loss. We love that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I think, look, if we look ahead to the to rest of the season, I think the Dockers are definitely winnable. Having said that, they've been smashed in the media this week for their putrid performance. Port Adelaide. The fact that it's in, in in Melbourne and the fact that we only lost by five points last time we played them gives me more confidence. But I'm and it's, not. It's not at Marvel, and they love Marvel. It's at the G. That's, that's what's right. good about it. And I feel like we play better at the G than at Marvel, if I'm honest. Um, and then we've got Adelaide at Marvel, which you know Adelaide's performances outside of Melbourne have been terrible. Geelong at GMHBA. That's that's a real tough game. A real tough game. And then the next four are Bulldogs at Marvel. Sydney, West Coast, and North. So you'd think with Sydney in their current form, West Coast and North, all in Melbourne, we should go three from three there um, with Giants and, and Collingwood to come. So mm. it's... I don't think the draws as easy as everyone is making it out to be, but there's a lot of games that are definitely winnable. I don't know if we're going favourites to many of them, but they're all winnable games. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of 50-50s. I think... Late in the season, even though they'll be done and dusted, I think Sydney will still want to be, you know, proving a point. Mm. Um, Bulldogs fifty-fifty game, and then mm. then of course this weekend against the Dockers is yeah toss toss of a coin. And I think you need two of those fifty-fifties for us to make the finals, as long as you win the ones that you should win. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And and the thing that gives me even more promise is Irish back this week. Shield 
will either be back this week or within the next couple, he'll be fit. Setterfield comes back in. Peter Wright starts to get into some rhythm. The uh, the list starts to look healthier and healthier. The the pencil, uh, Nick Cox, you know, will have played five, six games. Sardis is, by all reports, dominating in the VFL. So he's a really interesting one to bring in, even as a sub or, or to be subbed out at three-quarter time, et cetera, et cetera. It's, yeah, it, the list profile is looking better and better with each coming week. Yep. That, that was probably, yeah, you just stole my, my question off me because and I'd love to get Rob's thoughts on this. Um, I look ahead to the game, obviously the, the fixtures, but I look at the position of our squad at the moment with the injuries uh, seemingly reducing, <clears throat> barring any um, post-buy disasters. But, I mean, it's the best problem in football to have. But I genuinely don't know how we fit everyone in, given their current form. Mm. Um, you, like you, you just listed everyone there. Um, I think you add to that potentially Davey Jr., potentially um, Tipper. Mm. Um, i trying to think, top of my head, I'm probably missing someone else in that mix as well. Um, and then actually the adjustment of, okay, Hobbs has been going pretty well, Core has been going pretty well. Um, Parrish comes back in. They've now got to play more half forward. Yeah. Uh, and how do they go with, with that role? So I, I'd love to know, is there changes that we make? Is, is, um, are there obvious ones? Do, does Cox, just Sardis, those kind of guys, mm. is it like, well, sorry, there's, there's no one you can push out at the moment? Yeah. Um, tip out, day, et cetera, mm. list goes on. So it's the best problem football to have, but uh, albeit it is a problem, and I'm not really sure how we approach it. Yeah. Like, look, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go through some of those names before you can give you and give you my opinion. So, look, Coxie's, I think, Coxie's a long-term project. I don't think they mm. know what he is or where he is. And just considering the age and the profile, I think he's going to have a, a year in the twos. Unless unless he just starts doing some unbelievable, crazy shit. I like, I, I don't think Coxie's playing AFL this season. I'm, I'm happy for him to stay in the twos and just develop. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long-term, long-term project, I think, with him. Um, and look, the other thing as well, look, Injuries are going to happen. Someone's going to roll an ankle next week. Someone's going to get suspended. Someone's going to get sick. Something's going to happen. So that, that's always going to happen. Sardis, like, you know, unfortunately plays in a position that we have a lot of depth. Um, also being very, very young, I think it's just a case of, you know, he hasn't played, what, footy for 12 or so weeks. He's played two VFL games. I think there's probably a bit of a tank that they want to build up before they give him a go. Um, and then it'll just probably depend on what happens above him. I'm actually quite concerned about Dylan Shield. I don't. Mm. Be- I, I, my read is that he's not playing this weekend. I'm worried that this foot thing might be worse than we first thought, mm. um, and might seem out for a period of time. The guys who are in now that are kind of expendable. That's that's sort of where it gets in, like challenging. Like I'll, I'll get up the team from the wet last game, but like, look, I think Snelling's one of those players who will find himself get pushed out. Mm-hmm. Um, like you probably sort of put him in our, you know, 20, 20 to 25 sort of player squad, 26, where he's sort of on his day, he's best 22, but he might get pushed out. Um, who are the other ones? Like, you know, Guelphie and Menzi, I think, are easily our best small forwards on form, but yep. I feel like they're trying to prep Tipper for a, you know, home a home sprint you know what i mean like mm-hmm. just run heaps get the tank up and if we can get him in the last few rounds and he's ready to go and come into a final then that that would be great um hindy massimo they're probably two guys who may sort of go depending on who we want to play in different roles mm-hmm. um and then probably phillips that if Draper's is 100 percent, which he isn't right now that they might look at having the draper with um Wiedemann is the the sort of fallback option for for that, and then there's a lot of guys who you just can't see moving out unless they're injured, like Laverty, Redmond, Ridley, Heppel, McGrath. Like no one's moving them out unless they get hurt. The midfielders as well. Like I think Hobbs has shown that he can play half forward. Like we obviously yeah, love him in the like middle. Him. I think he's shown he can. Kind of the same with Perkins as well. Like they can do it. I think Coldwell's the one who's really shown the most in the midfield. Like I know he kicked yeah. a few like crazy goals, but I think he's the one who's really got to spend more time there. And then I mean, and then Setterfield's got to come back into it as well. 
Um, so look, it's yeah. good problems to have. I feel like Jake Kelly may have found himself self getting squeezed out, and that unless there's, um, you know, an injury or a particular matchup, that he may find himself not in the side because I think if you're picking a back pocket, I think you're picking Andrew McGrath as your back pocket over Kelly at the moment. Yeah. Um, with the other guys being the more sort of you know rebounding halfback sort of roles. So, but look, it's a it's a great problem to have, as you said, Matt. Like, if you look at every premiership for the last twenty or so years, there's always a couple of blokes who you're like, how did that guy not make the team? He's a superstar. Like, that's mm. always the way. Like, you don't yeah, play yeah. grand finals without having four or five guys who should probably or you know could be in the team. Um, and it's a nice problem to have. And and what it gives you the mm. opportunity to do is later in the season, if we are a lock for finals and, and in the mix of getting a home final, what it allows you to do is in round 21, Heppel's a little bit sore or Wiedemann's a bit sore or someone's a bit sore and you just give them a rest. You give them mm. one or two weeks off, you yep. bring in the next person, they get exposed to the system, they get the chance to stake their name um, and put it on the whiteboard and then you're allowed, you're able to freshen up the list and really have a good run at that final in September. I I have no illusions to think that we're actually having a tilt to the premiership this year, but I would like us for the first time in, you know, as long as I can remember, actually not limp into finals, but be clear in finals and prepare for finals in the way that most good teams do. Yeah. And I, I think a healthy what... list lets us do that. I don't know if I um. I, this is a, a different discussion. I don't know if I love that approach, particularly the way the finals structure. But it probably is more so if we're a top four side in that the extra that week by um actually ends up. I suppose it is if you're top four, you end up playing like two games in a month if you go to the grand final. And I think since that's come in historically, the team that's only played the two weeks or whatever it is three. Games in six weeks um, misses out in the grand final because it is simply out of form. So I don't know. Yeah, but that's it. Look, that's a different discussion. Probably discussion for another day. Mm. And uh, that's not going to be us. Is the, <laughs> yeah. the point yeah. of the discussion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So. But yeah, but look, I, I think the reality is is that someone's going to get hurt in Perth. Someone's going to get the flu or COVID one week. Like yeah. shit's going to happen. There's yeah. thirty guys or twenty. You know. 20 guys who could play in this team at the moment, something's going to happen to someone. Um, no, we're never like, you're never going to have perfect, a perfect, you know, 45 person playing list all ready to go. Something's going to happen mm. to someone. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's great having options and we've got options in multiple places. Like there's only a couple of places that, you know, you know, our key backs really, that is the area that if, you know, if Laverde and Ridley go down, then we, it really does start to, taper off, whereas we've shown we can kind of cover other areas pretty well so far this year. Mm. Yeah. Well, one so, more question for you, Rob, uh, from my end. Uh, mm. We'll be too big against Carlton with with uh, Draper, Phillips, Wiedemann and Rob. Yeah. It's an interesting one. Like, I, I was thinking about it going in and, like, you know, some teams do it. Like, Melbourne play a very big team. Like, they play the two rucks and then they often can play, like, McDonald and Fritch and Brown in a team and stuff like that. Um, it really just depends on what you're getting from these guys. I think they clearly did it because they knew Draper wasn't 100% and could do a full game by himself. So I do wonder if that, you know, we play a game where he is 100% that they do give that the shot. Um, but yeah, were we too tall? You know, maybe, maybe not. I don't. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Like if it was if it was raining, I would say yes. You know. Yeah. Um, if it was raining, we might have seen Draper not play and Flip just come in and try and do it himself. Like that's just kind of the scenario. And um, as much as I hate saying it, I'm I'm getting the vibe that we're going to be seeing Flip and Brian up against Darcy and Luke Jackson on the weekend, which I'm not too excited about. I like it. So. I like it. I like it a lot, actually. I think I think this has the makings of a Brian breakout game. I I like it a lot. I I've watched quite a bit of uh, Nick Bryan. He he went through my school, and I um 
I like the way he goes about his footy, and I think he just needs an opportunity. So yep. I'm I'm excited for that prospect. Look, I look is Draper our number one ruckman? Yes. Would I prefer to have Draper in? Yes. But I I think Brian just needs an opportunity, and I think he's mm. ready to to take it. Yep. No. I think Fair next enough. year's probably his year. I I, mm. I, I think he's still not. Yeah, I think he's still a year off his de- development to be like an AFL consistently. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he's still another preseason. I think. But so yeah. So this has just hit my uh, my news desk uh, in great Essendon fashion. Jaden mm-hmm. Hunter, stress response in his lower back. So this is the new key forward that we just drafted. Oh, uh, so he's probably out Ooh. for the rest of the year. So opportunity for some... <laughs> well, he wasn't playing, but... Um, so we're coming up to about an hour. So um, I don't want to keep you for too much longer, Rob. There's just two more things that I want to touch on. Um, That's to right. Close out the show. That's right. Uh, the first one being... Jesse is out of contract this year at the Sash. Mm. And given he can converse with us in our native tongue, <laughs> I'd like to open discussions with opening up the free agency discussion to get him across to the Don Father. So okay. I'm just letting you know that our management team is going to approach his management team and we're going to have a talk about whether Jesse wants to jump across. Yeah, look, look. I'd like to think that after you know the time we've put into developing Jesse, um, you know, in this space, that he would, um, you know, do what's right and st- stick by our, our podcast. But um, I can understand that you know he's at that age that free free agency is open to him and big contracts come along. Particularly being a, you know it, his native tongue and his homeland, that he might want to come come back, um, come back there. But you know, we were the were the pod that drafted him um, um, from the junior uh, podcaster. <laughs> Development space. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd like to. Th- I'd like to think that he uh, he honors he honors uh, us and you know resigns for another year. But you know he has the right to uh, to uh, you know shop around. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And so, Maddie and I were actually at um, a super nuffy event a few weeks ago, just after the Dreamtime game. And um, this was actually at our one of our locals. So you may have yep. been here. This is the. Uh, the Olympic Hotel in Preston, so so not far from us. Mm-hmm. And it was an Essendon panel night, and I'm sure they run them all over the shop in all different areas. And, and in yep. the panel was was Merritt, uh, Waller, and Perkins, who, by yep. the way, Archie Perkins is super tall, way yep. taller than I thought. He, I'm not very tall, but he is very tall. Big boy. Um, so the, the biggest impression that I got from that night, because most of the talking actually came out of Merritt, was that this playing group, as talented as we all believe they are, have felt for a number of years, in fact, Merritt said for his entire career, have felt like success was out of their hands, that this group wasn't able to have success for reasons that were out of their control, the club, the board, et cetera, et cetera. And the real sense I got from that night, more so than the funny stories and whatever, was that... Merritt, as the captain, certainly now believes that he's in control of his own destiny. And Mm. he's playing that way. He's leading that way. And I think the whole group is starting to believe that finally they are the ones that can drive their success. And for me, as an Essendon nuffy who spends my Monday nights and Wednesday nights doing an Essendon podcast, that, for me, is the most exciting aspect. Love to hear that. Yeah, I love to hear that. And I, I can understand with Zach, like he basically started when, you know, things were like they were already kind of going, you know, falling apart. But like when it really hit with the player suspension, like that's when he was starting his footy. And he's just, he's kind of had to wear this, you know, wear this brand that he, you know, it wasn't his fault. He had nothing to do with it. And he's kind of had to wear, you know, what, what's gone to the club. And, you know, like you, you can kind of throw Heppel into that sort of mix as well there. But mm. these guys who sort of had to carry this burden that wasn't wasn't their responsibility, had nothing to do with them. It was past mm. people at the club who were involved in this whole thing and all the events that transpired. And, yeah, he sort of had to wear that. And it's, you know, I think when a pl- person becomes a captain or a player becomes a captain of the club, like, you know, you either, you know, rise to a new level or you kind of just stay where you are and, you know, you you don't, wouldn't become a captain if you weren't something special. But yeah, I, I see Zach is coming, is going to another level, and mm-hmm. the fact that he believes that he can do that and he can lead it, 
and mm. he's got the players around him who can do that. Because um, you know we've all seen times on the field where he would get shitty about players doing dumb things and making dumb decisions, and he's the talented youngster who is kind of getting let down by other players who aren't as good as him. Whereas now there's, you know, we're seeing guys who are starting to look as good as Zach is, and you know who knows they might surpass him in a couple of years as being the best players in the team. And um, yeah, like it's it's awesome to f- hear that he feels that way because. Unless you, you know, it's very cliche and, you know, if you've watched Ted Lasso, you'll see it, you know, unless you believe you can actually win, you're not going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it definitely starts with there that if, if the captain believes that we can do it, then, you know, the rest of them will follow. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, yeah, I think I think this club is on the right track finally after 20 years. Like, Matty has never seen success at Essendon. This, this poor kid... I've roped him in <laughs> really as soon as he was born and he's he's never seen a successful era. Not like you and I have seen in the 90s and the early 2000s, right? When mm. when you were really proud of your football club, you were, the football club was feared. People didn't want to play us. Mm. And I'm I'm excited for him and his brother, uh, and I feel a little bit guilty for roping him in all those years ago, that mm. I it genuinely, to me, feels like the mid-90s again in terms of that's the direction the club's going and I, and you know, a rebrand, whatever, I don't care. As long as I've got a black jumper and a red sash, mm. uh, I'll be there watching and, and hopefully seeing some success in the near future. Yep. Agree. Agree. Hopefully this is the year that we uh, turn that big corner. And, you know, I think if we get that monkey off the back, then, you know, who knows what the next two or three years might, uh, might, you know, be in store for us with this talented group. Mm. Mm. Well, Maddie, thanks for jumping on with us tonight. No, thank you. Thank you to uh, Rob. They, they say never meet your heroes, but uh, <laughs> certainly not not true when you meet them twice. So, oh, don't, don't call me don't call me a hero, mate. I'm far from a hero. I'm oh, I think I, I reckon if you if you if you ask most of the uh, SNN podcasting landscape, which I actually discovered the other day, it's actually fairly. Uh, it's way bigger than I what, thought it was. Yeah, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of pods. I thought it was the Sash, the lunchtime catch-up podcast and us, but it's clearly not. Yeah. Well, sorry, sorry, Kate. Well, when when we started the Sash, there was Windy Hill Windsock and that was it. And that first year we did it. And then, like, you know, like I wasn't reinventing the wheel or anything, but then, you know, they all started to pop up. But if if you go to just like Apple Podcasts and type in Essendon Podcast, you'll see shows that you've never heard of that ran for a year and then they just gave up. Like, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, I look, I like seeing there's, you know, more content out there. People have different ideas and people say different stuff and, you know, keep, keeps me on my toes and keeps me accountable. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for joining us, Rob. It's, um, it's funny because I listen to the session and, and normally when Essendon would lose, I just do a media blackout. I get so depressed about it that I'm like, I'm not looking at any football stuff until the next game comes around. But um, what I found with the Sash and, and other Essendon podcasts is you get to listen to it and everyone else is upset about the loss. Everyone mm. else is... And that that's a really cathartic process to go through. Um, and as you know, with, with all podcasts, you, if you listen long enough, you, you start to become familiar, even though you don't know these people, and they see, you seem like you're just jumping into a conversation with mates. Mm. Um, and that process, I think, has really... Um, gotten us through these dark times by all of us lamenting together. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's it's always a pleasure to have you on and, and thanks for joining us. But I think finally, we as a collective podcast group and as a fan base, I think the the sun is shining in the not too distant horizon. Yeah, he's, he's, he's hoping. Um, and yeah, it is, it is definitely therapy a lot of the time doing these shows after a loss and Man, I've 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 done a lot of them. I've done a lot of them, and I'm, I have no I have no qualifications in the mental health space whatsoever. But um, if it makes people feel better after a fogging, then you know I'm happy to do it. And you know what's what's changed a lot for me in the last couple of years, having having been been doing a lot more video content, is how many people bail me up at games when I least least suspect it. Um, which my my partner has found very funny because she didn't believe me the first few times I said it. She's like, no one knows who you are. And I'm like, oh, we'll come to a game. And a couple of people like were like, hey, man, I love the show. And she's like, do people actually listen to your podcast? I'm like, yeah, I told you people listen to it. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, look, love doing it. Um, you know, we've got a 
great community with Essendon that, you know, if if you didn't jump off 10 years ago, like you're you're on for the long ride. And I think, uh, as you said, when we finally get to where we want to be, um, it's going to be pretty special. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, all seven of you, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us uh, this evening. Uh, find us on Instagram at the Donfather Pod. Follow us on Facebook. Listen to us on all good podcasting platforms. And until next time, go Dons. Go Dons. Go Dons. Go Dons.